Hello and welcome to This Is Our Design, Sound On Sight's Hannibal podcast dedicated to Brian Fuller's series based on the characters created by Thomas Harris. I am Sean Coletti, contributing writer to Sound On Sight. I am joined by my co-host and TV editor at Sound On Sight, Kate Kolzik. Hello, Kate, and how is the weather? It is surprisingly warm. Hi, Sean. It's sad how excited I am that the low for the next week is like in the 20s. I'm disproportionately excited about that. Fantastic. <laughs> this week we're going to be talking about Hannibal Season 2, Episode 2, Sakizuki, written by Jeff Vlaming and Brian Fuller, and directed by Tim Hunter. And joining us this week is our special guest to the podcast, TV critic from the AV Club, Les Chapel. Hello, Les, and thank you for coming on to Talking Hannibal with us. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. All right. We're going to start then with Les and just dive right in immediately. So during this episode, Hannibal says... When it comes to nature versus nurture, I choose neither. We are built from a DNA blueprint and born into a world of scenario and circumstance we don't control. But I think I would make the point that Hannibal is often shown to us controlling his scenarios and circumstances. So how might you explain Hannibal's perspective in this case? And do you think his character can't be understood in terms of nature versus nurture? Well, a when I when I remember very clearly hearing that statement, and my first thought was that I think I need a psychology degree to understand exactly what it is he's saying there. (laughs) But I suppose part of it could be seen as just the Hannibal Hannibal misdirection, trying to just sort of keep his opinions vague to the FBI. But largely, I would say that while Hannibal. Because one of the fascinating things about the Hannibal character, which is what they mention in every single uh, permutation of this story, is that Hannibal doesn't fit any of the tr- any of the descriptors of psychopath or sociopath or any of those. So he is by nature completely and totally impossible to understand. I mean, we can guess at his motivations, but exactly what he feels at any given time is an utter mystery to us. And I sort of took that statement of his to essentially say, I do not really believe or follow any of these viewpoints that you might suggest. Okay, do you think that what Les is saying also coincides with some of the ideas about God and religion that have been brought up in this episode and in past um, episodes of Hannibal, where he seems to suggest things that he might not necessarily believe in? Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. As far as the unreliableness of whatever whenever Hannibal is discussing what he believes because he is wearing a person suit and because the most open or honest I think we see him is a, one version of himself that he presents to his psychiatrist and another version of himself that he presents to Will and then maybe a third that he presents to to everyone else. But I, I don't think we can trust necessarily what he says because of that, because he is, you know, he's very much crafted this persona. So I do think the discussions we get of God and of, um, this, you know, nature and nurture and all of that this week are interesting. And I think it's fun to ponder, but I don't think you can take anything Hannibal says at face value. Kate, there was, uh, you mentioned the psychiatrist, Dr. Demoyer, and I was wondering if you could just walk us through some of her decisions in this episode, you know, starting from dropping Hannibal as a patient, then to going to see Will, and finally essentially skipping town, leaving just behind a, a bottle of perfume for Hannibal to come across. Uh, what's going through her mind right now? She's running because she's smart, <laughs> and uh, she she figures out the best. I mean, and, and I not having read any of the source material and only having seen one of the films, I, I still always go back to that notion of understanding that respect is so hugely important 
to Hannibal and uh, being treated with respect. And so I think she finds the most respectful way that she can to leave. And she runs for the fucking hills. <laughs> yeah, there's that, that line of hers. Can't remember if she said this to Jack or Will, but she said she was severing all social ties. It basically gives the impression she's just going to run off and join a convent someplace or something equally extreme. Too many people in a convent. She's going to go find a hut in the woods somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, it was reminiscent to me of uh, Dr. Malfi in the series finale of, of Sopranos. And I guess maybe this is a spoiler. It doesn't really feel like one. But having <laughs> that conversation of at what point can you no longer handle being the the psychiatrist or the, the therapist for a horrible horrible person or even or monster and she's reached her level and so now it's, she can't she can no longer at least this is what i'm seeing she can no longer contain that and she can no longer put up the fabulous jillian anderson facade of coldness she has to run away and i think that's what we see here yeah, I will say, well, a quick note, yeah, Gillian Anderson, so good in this episode and the previous episode, and it makes me sad that she's going to be off on crisis this season and not be able to, well, I did, possibly, I don't know if she'll be able to come back for more episodes, but she was so good in these first two. But yes, it's definitely the case of, I thought your comparison to Dr. Melfi is a very interesting one, because uh, Dr. Melfi just realized that Tony didn't want to be helped or was incapable of being helped. Hannibal is, again, going back to what I was saying, just so inscrutable and inconceivable that his any therapy he does is far more for his just sort of curiosity and his intellectual benefit than it is to actually get to anything of what Hannibal is. Right. I feel like... Yeah, Hannibal, he I believe that he is very he is incredibly comfortable in what he is. He's just interested in understanding it further. Yeah, like both of you have said, uh Anderson's performance in this episode and the last one have been fantastic. And Demoya has been a really interesting character and again, she's kind of admitted that she's reached efficacy with their relationship in terms of it being psychiatrist patient. And more than that, she isn't really psychologically capable of maintaining the the shared, I don't know if we call them secrets, but the shared experiences that the two have where if one of them has to go down, then it'll be both of them. She's reached the point where she doesn't want to be in a circumstance where that possibility of it coming out is even there. And for good reasons. Not only do we see her step backwards away from Hannibal in one of the, the episode's more fantastic uh, scenes in terms of direction, but we see Hannibal come in at the end of the episode absolutely ready to kill her so it was definitely the right move on her part well and she can also see what hannibal has done to his friend there's only a handful of people that hannibal likes and one of them is will and she's another one and so there's also that element i really i mean the, the standout scenes for me in this episode i'm sure we'll talk about that horrifying opening but the standout scenes for me in this episode are the the demorier uh scenes particularly that wonderful final scene with will because i think she has such a such a connection with him as these are the two people that have been manipulated and hollowed out and sort of destroyed by their proximity to hannibal and their understanding of what he is uh, so i loved that they included that moment yeah and i thought that moment was also 
I mean, I'm sure we'll get to just the sort of story of what Will's plan and what his psyche is for the episode. But that final moment where she just whispers to him, I believe you, you can practically see him crumple against the bars because for all of his clear planning or trying to essentially get back to what he was, there was still a part of him that knew that he thought that he was doing it himself. And to hear just one person say to him, you're not crazy, I think he needed to hear that even more badly than he thought he did. Absolutely. All right, Kate mentioned it already, and so I'm going to open this up to either of you. Uh, last week, we got this technical masterpiece of a cold open, and this week we begin with a chase sequence that's arguably as tense, just in a different way, uh, beginning in a horrific, gruesome fashion and concluding with an unfortunately miscalculated jump there at the end, which kills Umber. When you look at shows like X-Files and like Hannibal, how important or useful is it to set the tone like this immediately? Well, what I think is interesting with, with this season is that they've managed in this. It, this does feel to me very much like a two-parter premiere. The first episode in this episode, there is the case that ties it in. There's the fact that uh, Dr. DeMaurier is only, it seems like she's only going to be in these two episodes. And episode three is going to be structured around this trial somewhat. So, uh, it, or it would appear... So this does feel to me very much like the you have the action set piece at the beginning of the premiere. You have the action set piece here. It does feel like the start of an episode, but for me, it also feels like the middle of the episode. And the way that they have managed to make the the series and these episodes so much more horrifying while showing less gore last week and then this week is just by the inclusion of someone who's not dead. It's so much worse. Oh my god, so yeah. much worse. And I think it is good for it to get. To get you mentally in the, the, the realm of the episode, that being said, the rest of the episode isn't anywhere near as disturbing. So maybe they're just hoping that we'll get anybody who's squeamish out in the first two minutes. And then if you can make it through that, you'll make it through the rest of the episode just fine. Yeah, I think that's also part of it, which I yeah, I watched this episode twice, once when the screeners came out and then again last night, and knowing what was coming did not make it any easier to watch any of those moments where he literally peels himself Ooh. out of the mural. It's ugh. And then the whole chase scene, that's uh, it just is a masterclass of how disturbingly simultaneously beautiful and creepy this show is. I've I've been offering up praise for a lot of the creepiness in True Detective this year, and just in two episodes, Hannibal completely schooled True Detective <laughs> in doing creepiness. It's not even close. <laughs> yeah, but going back to your original question about setting tone, I think part I think it is sort of just the they want to get the excitement right away so you're prepped for it because so much of Hannibal is a cold cerebral visual show that they want to sort of get the blood pumping right away. I mean, uh, we t last year where there was the episode with uh, Tobias, the, bio the cellist who was making the cat gut, the human gut strings, and that fight scene was set in the middle of the episode. And I think I know a lot of people were sort of put off by that. They didn't really think that it fit. Whereas I think if you take those sequences and you ostensibly put them into the cold open, it's a little bit easier to take as part of the show's aesthetic. It's interesting, yeah. You hit the ground running immediately, and then it kind of settles into the normal, moody tone of a Hannibal episode. Well, and then you're also somewhat relieved when it settles into the normal tone. You're yeah, like, oh, you don't God. Have to, you don't have to see skin being ripped uh, apart anymore, so that's oh. good. 
That is so gross. Yeah, you just get yeah, you just get to see so many other horrifying things. I will actually take umbrage. You said that the rest of the episode is not nearly as creepy. That scene where Hannibal cuts up the guy's leg and serves it up as Asabuco to the strands of the Ninth Symphony. <laughs> oh my god, that just I'm simultaneously horrified and that looks good. Well, so good. And darkly comic, the, the 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 musical scoring there. I'm I'm not going to play that symphony again without thinking of that, probably. And uh, that's a delightful I, little gift they've given me moving forward. <laughs> I, I'm sure. Follow, I'm sure that's exactly what they're thinking of. Yeah. So one of the little details in that opening chase sequence that I wanted to point out, and along with something else later in the episode, because I really feel like Hannibal has trained me to think that everything is intentional in some way. There was a, a focus on the fact that the killer misses pretty largely with his shot from the rifle when he's shooting at Umber. And obviously it's dark and everything, but we're so used to somebody like Hannibal being one of the antagonists in this that you always just expect the other killers to be on that level of perfection. And so a little detail like that seemed kind of off. And then later in the episode, when um, Hannibal is surrounded by uh, Beverly, Brian, and Jimmy, and they're looking at umber's corpse he kind of just has trouble maneuvering in the room and bumps into them and it was weird that the camera focused on a couple of these details and i don't know if either of you noticed one or both of those and if you had any thoughts on either of them i did note i did notice especially the tripping scene though i've read that more as hannibal just sort of trying to project the fact that he was just a little bit uncomfortable around these people and in this and in this very clinical setting because unless i miss my guess i think this may have been the first time he was in the fbi forensics lab so he want it's sort of projected into his sort of aloof european disconnected from everybody else persona well, and I also like the idea that maybe he is. This is new. He's not used to having, he's not, if you notice him, he doesn't physically stand close to people most of the time. He usually has some amount of personal space. So uh, usually when we would see him looking at bodies last season, and I could be remembering this incorrectly, listeners let me know if I am, at the Televerse on Twitter. But I, I seem to recall usually he would be on the other side of a body from Will. They'd both be looking, so there was very much a bubble of personal space. And so maybe it, it could easily be, like you, you're saying, less a projection of, oh, look at me, I'm so not used to being around dead bodies. Or I think actually there could be some level of, uh, you know, this is new to him. This is not where he's had to be before. Um, so I don't know. He's used to having privacy with his dead bodies. <laughs> this, is, this is true. The privacy <laughs> of his kitchen. Yeah. Uh, earlier, Les, you said um, you were talking about the friendship that, that Will and Hannibal may or may not share. And in this episode, it's brought up again where Will says that friends have a symmetrical relationship, psychiatrist and patient, that's unbalanced. Do you see the Will-Hannibal relationship as symmetrical? And in general, do you think a successful friendship can be unbalanced? Oof. <laughs> I'll take the first, I'll go with the first question to say I don't I don't see their relationship as symmetrical well I see it as symmetrical in some ways like because Will's curse is that he can feel he has his that pure empathy gift of feeling everything where and being able to feel as everyone whereas Hannibal doesn't really feel as anyone even really himself 
so I think, I and mean, I think that's one of the reasons why Hannibal has been so drawn to Will is because this idea of someone who can feel everything fascinates him, and not even the fact that he's interested in feeling these things himself. He's just interested to see what it's like for someone who can feel everything. Regarding the friendship question, uh, I, don't, I don't think I'm qualified to say anything on that. I've had, I've got multiple friendships with variety of balances between us so i think every friendship is different and certainly but i would say that based on all of my experiences i don't definitely wouldn't qualify what will and hannibal have as anything close to friendship i think they're closer now to parody not to friendship i think they were closer to feeling like there was a friendship back in season one uh when when will you know didn't know who Hannibal was. I think that then Will was closer to feeling friendship then, but now they're closer to parody. And maybe you know, if we project that by the end of the season, Will will be exonerated to some extent, even if it's only Jack who believes him. Uh, but you know, there'll be some level of exoneration and a stronger sense of self. Uh, I think they're, they're more equal now because Will has more of an understanding of Hannibal. And I would say that friendships need to be equal, and if they're not, they're not the same, not equal in the same ways. But every, if, if there isn't a balance of give and take, it tends to be not what I would call friendship. But I think it's an interesting comment. What do you think, Sean? I I was thinking about it in, in terms of you know my own friendships as well, and like Les said, you kind of have those relationships where you sometimes give more, and then you have other ones where you sometimes take more. And what I came out with at the end of it was just that I, I do believe that you can have an unbalanced friendship and it can work as a friendship. That's just the thing that you take for what it is. You know, you just know with some people, this is what life is going to be like between the two of us. And that's OK, as long as you admit that. And in that regard, it seems interesting that Will believes that or believes that you can't have one that's unbalanced. And it, maybe it relates to his kind of shaky psychological state at the moment but he's obviously it's still incredibly distant and incredibly reluctant uh, in terms of letting people into his life but one of those people is uh, jack crawford and jack i think also struggles with the idea of friendship with regards to will and that's again brought up in this episode where he admits that he used will kind of like how the serial killer used his victims in the color palettes and he worries that if will is delusional it's because he made him that way and if he's a psychopath it's because everything in Jack's gut is wrong. Uh, we know Jack's going to come around eventually, but how does this situation, do you think, affect Jack's ability to do his job right now? And should he be taking time off, maybe? Well, I would say that pro Jack probably should be taking some time off. I think it's actually a little bit surprising they haven't put him on administrative leave at this point. I mean, the, he's ha they've put him on a psyche valve with an... And he had to ha had that session with his therapist talking about how the knowing how, that what Will has done has changed the way I see him, the way I see other people. I think Jack is very much off his game. It doesn't seem like the right phrase, but it's the first phrase that comes to mind. That everything that has happened between Will and Hannibal and himself has left him a little bit scrambling right now. Well, and regardless of... I mean, I, I don't know anything about FBI protocol, but I, I have to think that th th this can't be accurate. That something like this happened just because the, the judgment would have to be impaired by such a traumatic event happening. Do we know how much time has passed between seasons? Just a few months since the events of the pilot. So back when, um, when since they the pilot. Got, okay. Yeah, back when they got Garrett Jacob Hobbs. 
Okay, so he hasn't so he hasn't been there for very long for because he still looks the same as he did when he went in there. So at least he's getting a razor. So wait, so to, just for my sake to lock this down, you're saying that since the pilot, it has only been a few months. Months, yeah, that was that, the quote that was used. Oh wow, that that is not because that puts this in with the show like True Blood, which of course each of their seasons is like two weeks. It's not as extreme as that, but. I, it hadn't occurred to me that all of the first season was in such a truncated amount of time. I don't know why I, I hadn't thought about it in that context, but that that's very interesting uh, for me then. And we'll see, because the, the, just the legal process of something like convicting uh, a will of, of all these horrible murders would take much longer than the first season. Well, technically, he's not convicted yet. He's essentially... Oh, yes, the... I know. What I mean is moving forward. The process that they are looking to start next week would be a much longer-term one. It wouldn't be one that would make sense to... Theoretically, they could have him convicted by the end of the season without a time jump. Yeah, because we already know from the... Well, I suppose we don't actually know for certain if the fight scene in the pilot is going to be part of the finale or not. Of the premiere, yes. That, that's right, sorry. Yes, that's true. We'll see where, where that, I don't know. When Han- that goes. Hannibal, Hannibal plays so... Hannibal is, by definition, a show with such a heightened operatic sense of reality and that sort of relies on, on its protagonist's own often blurred perceptions of time with his blackouts last season. That sort of the actual ebb and flow of time is a little bit inconsistent. When you talk about the perspective, I'm curious what you guys thought of... Uh, was this our first time getting into Hannibal's projection with the corn. That was such an interesting sequence. And obviously we've seen Will have his own triggers. And and this time Hannibal uses his keen sense of smell, which is throughout the episode. But he does that to go into that cornfield. And the way that it was shot, as soon as he takes that first inhalation, you see like the sprouting of the corn stalks and then the full field. And it almost made me think, well, wait a second. What if this guy, other than just discarding the bodies in the river, um, is also using them as fertilizer? That's the image that it gave. But so, even if... so, so, this, so he's basically like the Johnny Depp in Secret Window? Yep, that's the one. <laughs> Spoiler but... for Secret Window, by it the way. It made me think of the mushrooms from yeah, last absolutely. season. <laughs> yeah. But it was, again, it was beautiful in the way that Hannibal often is. And I think that was the first time, at least that I remember, seeing Hannibal in that same kind of mental sphere as as Will has been in the past, where he's trying to figure out something about the crime scene. Yeah, it's uh, I'm, I think it is the first time we've seen it on the show, though. It wasn't so much a surprise to me, because I have read the Thomas Harris books, and there's a lot of talk in there about how Hannibal goes to his quote-unquote mind palace, where he's a, and that was how he survived a lot of his years of confinement, that he essentially just lets his imagination run wild in a very similar way to the way Will is essentially escaping into his visions of fly fishing in the river. So I so it wasn't a stretch for me to imagine Hannibal can just basically close his eyes and transport himself based on one sensory definition. Well, and the when you speak of uh, the the river this week, we have Will's uh, river perverted by the the bodies. Yeah, that that was another creepy image and another sign that sort of Will like like even in this place of confinement, Will's sort of trying to find some modicum of peace again. But once again, he's opening himself up to these killers and getting in their head. And once again, it's polluting him. 
So let's talk about that for a second, because when Demoya goes to visit Will in the episode, she says that the traumatized are unpredictable because we know we can survive. And obviously we know Hannibal as a series is something that spends a lot of time detailing the lasting effects of violence and trauma on its characters. But do you agree with her on that point and that it gives victims a certain edge? Well, I don't feel like I can comment on that, not having experienced or been fortunate, fortunately not having experienced any significant trauma yet or been surrounded by it. But uh, I do think it's an interesting notion, and I think it, it is a point towards where we may be headed this season. Yeah, I think it's it's the old adage, that which does not kill us makes us stronger. Yeah, and obviously her victimization in her past made her at least smart enough to to kick into self-preservation mode. Well, and the other thing for me, because listeners who tuned in last week for our discussion of the premiere will know I was predicting that we were going to get a lot more Demoria this season, mostly because I didn't expect her to have the character and the, the just the fortitude to be able to leave. I thought she would be too afraid to leave. So that took a lot of strength from her. And that, that comes from her knowing that she could, she was able to survive her victimization. So being willing to take that very risky chance and anger Hannibal, you know, so I think we've yeah. already seen that. <laughs> yeah. I, I definitely also applauded her resourcefulness in some ways, the way she left, because yes, she was able to get out fast enough that Hannibal wouldn't get her in time, but she left a couple little instances behind. Like she, there was the moment where she stopped to will to say, I believe you to sort of give him that boost. She left that bottle of perfume for Hannibal, which sort of earned a quiet half smirk of respect from him. And she stopped to talk to Jack Crawford before leaving to essentially state that she did not feel qualified to judge or to step into talking about what Hannibal is or just or just to talk about Hannibal in general. And I think that in both in all of those places, she was basically planting seeds, like because Jack's already sort of conflicted about everything that's going on. And he's this little note's been planted. His Hannibal's therapist, even with Hannibal's permission, won't talk about him. What does that say about Hannibal? And I think that that's just sort of the gradual because we, based on the on the scene in the premiere, we know Jack's going to come to some sort of understanding about Hannibal. And I really like, from a narrative sense, that we're that they're showing us these gradual seeds of doubt being planted in his mind, and that it's connected with his own instincts. I like that we do. Obviously, Jack is not trusting his instincts at this moment like you wouldn't uh with present when presented with this information of you know everything in your core being says that will should be fine and evidence you know a pile of evidence including an ear says that he's been killing people uh so so to have that reinforce you know should he start connecting the dots or when he'll start connecting the dots reinforce what he's already believing i think is you know will will be helpful so i like that they established that in this episode. And when you talk about the seeds that are being planted, I'm really looking forward to what Beverly is going to start piecing together in the next, you know, span of episodes. I'm really intrigued by that. Yeah, that yes. was the, the next point that I wanted to bring up, just because we see Will decline the plea bargain that Purnell gives to him. And we see him working his game with Beverly, trying to get her to kind of reset uh, what she knows about this case so far. And I'm just trying to think, well, what is his game plan here? Obviously, we know this is a TV show, and we expect him to be free of all of this, exonerated at some point. But just looking at it in some form of realism, 
what is his design? Like, how can he get out of this? Who does he have to manipulate and and how to begin changing people's opinions? I'm not even sure. I think I don't think he's even figured that out fully himself. He just knows there's a few early steps he has to take, like his faked breakdown in front of Hannibal and Alana, where he essentially admits there are pieces. I can't find all the pieces. I don't know what's going on with me. Please help me. There, he's having his breakdown, but then the moment when he's back in his cell and his face just goes dead, you can tell that he's essentially – this is step one to essentially get them to start talking to him. And the same way that – and once he realizes that Beverly's willing to come to him for this, that he's willing to start trying to just – again, going back to the idea of planting seeds, just sort of planting some seeds in her head. He asks her – Forget the evidence that's against me. Just look at it from a clean angle. I think his because he's in the cell and he can't really do anything physical about clearing his name, the most he can do is to just sort of start picking apart people's conceptions of what who he is and what they think he did. Les, you've mentioned the pieces that uh, Will was talking about. Um, Alana says to him, you have an incomplete self. There are pieces of you you cannot see. And Hannibal later in the episode says, you're missing pieces of yourself. Careful what you replace them with. And I think I might argue Will might be the only person not missing pieces, either figuratively or literally right now. Um, <laughs> so maybe when we talk about the idea of completion in this episode and Hannibal, maybe regarding the color palettes or how Des Moyes tells Hannibal that she can no longer be effective, with the therapy that that's reached its completion as well. I know last week, Kate, you and I were talking about how if Hannibal completely um, understands or controls Will, that that um, relationship loses some of its allure. So is completing something important to some of these people or all of them? Well, I think with the with, with Hannibal and Will, I think that's going to be something that Hannibal will strive for, but obviously... Yeah, he. I, I love that little nod or little touch from Demorier that to Will saying that she does actually believe that in his way Hannibal thinks he's helping or thinks he's being a friend, which is creepy and and <laughs> uh, very interesting. But uh, but I think with with Hannibal and Will, there's not necessarily a sense from Hannibal that he wants to finish because when he finishes with Will, then he doesn't have a friend anymore. And so that, you know, I, I don't think he's necessarily looking, he may have a plan for how he wants things to progress, but I don't know that he is actually like building towards a completed goal with that because then he would have to say goodbye. And clearly he's not good at saying goodbye to Will. Right. The color palette as well is semi-incomplete. I know he tells the serial killer that he's finishing the work for him, but obviously he cuts off the leg and it's not the color that he had originally intended and so he's leaving that kind of permanently incomplete as well. Well, and because he has no respect for that. <laughs> he's just, it's, again, his serial killer pattern of killing people the way that other serial killers kill them. <laughs> I love your work. That was hilarious. That, there was a lot of really good black comedy in this episode. I mean, Hannibal's usually really good at that, but there was that moment. There was the moment when Badelier goes to see Will in the hospital, and he looks up and says, you're Dr. Electra's therapist. What's that like? <laughs> I got Since we're talking about dark comedy, I got to just point out that the one time that Hannibal's made me laugh out loud for to the point where I, I needed to pause the episode when um, – when Jack finds out that Beverly has been talking to, to Will 
and he brings her into his office and he says, or he asks, how is Will Graham? And before she can even say anything, he says, shut your mouth. He didn't even <laughs> give her a chance to speak. Come on, man. <laughs> I love when they let Lawrence Fisherman just be be angry and, and bombastic. I still remember that from season one when he yells at the guy to get out of the bathroom. It's, yeah. it's, it's Use wonderful. Use the ladies' room. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm hoping we get a few more of those this season because it's always really fun. And that was, like you said, that was a nice moment of that. Yeah, and I, was, I thought this was another good episode for Jack as well, both for the previously mentioned reasons of he's sort of beginning to doubt things, but also the point that he essentially tells Beverly, we didn't have this conversation. You didn't tell me that you went and saw Will Graham. So you can keep doing whatever you think you need to do to do your job. Well, and I liked so much that, because I was watching that moment waiting for the unfortunate let's make this clear for the audience line and i don't know why i was waiting for it you know knowing how much i respect this show and these writers but i was so glad when it didn't come didn't that line didn't happen that uh my job is saving lives or whatever she said i know and that was it i was like oh yay beautiful restraint so appreciated <laughs> well let's talk structure last week and last week's podcast uh the three of us were talking about um, the case of the week format and how it's been a little bit toyed with. And, and this, obviously, we see was just a two-parter, so it wasn't going to be um, a season-long arc or anything like that. But, Les, can you talk maybe about the the growth or the maturity in terms of that aspect of the storytelling where it's not just uh, a semi-unrelated case for either Will or Hannibal to solve but it's something that kind of sinks its teeth into at least a, a decent part of the season and something that we think can relate to the other things that are going on with these characters. Yeah, I definitely do respect and appreciate the way that Hannibal has sort of fails the need that it it doesn't feel the need to shoehorn in a serial killer of the week uh, to make its point. I imagine it will continue to do that, but the fact that the overarching story of the show has evolved and accelerated to the point that they can spend an entire episode or two episodes on it to the point where the case of the week serial killer is something more of an afterthought. I really do appreciate the fact that they are able to do that and they don't feel the need to to follow on like a say a, a house or something like that where the case of the there would be a case of the week and the case of the week would almost always in some way be tied to something that house was house or his team was going through Hannibal if it if it wants to do a case of the week approach it's will be very smart about that and if it doesn't feel that it does I feel that that's a I respect that a lot Plus, this one was essentially solved midway through the episode. Obviously, we have to wait a little bit longer for the rest of the FBI to catch up, but it was about the midway point where uh, we see Hannibal at the silo, and we know that that's the end of that, that the rest of the episode's going to kind of take place in the aftermath of that. Exactly. It's funny you mention uh, House, because that is actually what I thought of when Will looks at the envelope and the the top of the 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 covering or whatever of the envelope is torn, and that's when he connects that the guy the victim was had, to tore himself free. Tore himself free. I I was a little bit thinking of House when that happened, so that's funny <laughs> that you make that connection. <laughs> All of that deduction stuff still really impresses me, and I mean, obviously these two are incredibly intelligent and fantastic at this consultancy job, but just the deduction that Hannibal does in terms of 
seeing that it was a resistance to opiates that allowed for this guy to still be alive. That's really fine uh, attention to detail there, I think. Well, yeah. and I was so glad they said that because I, that was something that was extra disturbing to me last week watching the the pilot when he or the premiere when he wakes up and I was like, did wait did that serial killer want him to wake up in this condition because that's somehow worse? Uh, and so I was glad to hear that. No, this horrible, horrible serial killer at least didn't intend for that to happen, for the guy to actually experience that. It's sad the things that you have to take comfort in when you're watching Hannibal. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yes. And, well, you talk about the deduction being important, and that is important. But, of course, there's also the other side of Will's investigative process, his getting back into the minds of the killers. And I was – and just seeing him – to suddenly look at the image of the mural and then suddenly be standing in the mural itself. It was such a fantastically creepy moment. And I'm also not ashamed to admit I clapped giddily when he said, this is my design. <laughs> it was that, it's that like, he said it, he said it moment. And just to see the realization on his face as he put it back together, as he put together what was going on. I think for Will, that was part, uh, that was a moment of I, he sort of got his mojo back, as it were. Yeah, but more about that moment as well. I was fascinated by the fact that when he says this and then Hannibal just pauses for a moment and says he must have had a friend. Uh, that's just the closest I think I've seen Hannibal come to being rattled. Not rattled in the sense of, oh, crap, I'm being found out, but just more in the, oh, this game might be a little bit more dangerous than I thought it was. It's interesting. Those are definitely some very charged glances because Will's pretending that he doesn't necessarily think Hannibal did this to him, even though he knows he did. And Hannibal's, you know, it's a, lots of subtext in, in those glances. Yeah, yeah that's, actually, that's actually a really interesting question of how much does Hannibal think that how much of Will's act does Hannibal buy? Does he believe that Will's genuinely recalcitrant about all of this? Does he legitimately think that Will doesn't suspect him anymore? Or is he just sort of playing along the way Will wants him to play along? I really think at this point that Hannibal is kind of um, childishly proud of what he's accomplished so far. And I think that that makes him a little vulnerable to that, that Will is now somewhat of a blind spot just because Hannibal takes it for granted that he was able to put him into this situation. And I think that he is buying into that performance somewhat. Otherwise, I wouldn't see uh, a purpose of following Will back to his cell and just seeing that facade fade completely. And I think we'll see that that will be part of the downfall, or at least a step towards the downfall that, that leads Jack into that kitchen at the end. Well, and also because if you don't have that at a certain point it gets really frustrating to watch because it's when, whenever you have a show and there's been a little bit of this unjustified this season unfortunately as much as i love that show whenever you have uh characters ah but i knew you would so the, so i and aha uh -huh, but i knew you were gonna do that so therefore i you know that doesn't it gets really old very very quickly and it it feels like cheating basically from the writers so i would be I think that'll be something to keep an eye on as the season progresses. But I think right now, I think that's a good point that you make, Sean, of this notion of Hannibal wanting to believe that 
that he's been successful in this to at least some some extent and therefore being more open to buying it than we would normally assume he would be. How do you think Alana fits into this story right now? Because she's been somewhat underserved in this episode. And obviously, there oh, she's needs barely to be... in it. She's yeah. hugely underserved. <laughs> yeah, I think I think she is only. Think back. I think she is only in the scene where he has that little fake breakdown in front of her and Lecter. So until Will is at that point or at the precipice where people are now starting to believe him, what what can she do in Hannibal season two? Well, I don't think they have anything for her to do yet, and that's why we're not seeing her. And I, I don't. I don't blame them for not uh, – because the thing is what she would be doing would be what we have already seen her do in the premiere more. She would just be doing that still. She'd be working on the case and saying the same thing she's already said. And so that's why they don't show her this week. Um, and so I'm guessing I, – I would be very surprised if she was one of the first to switch and believe Will. I don't think – I think she's going to actually be one of the last. So I think they're just trying to avoid repetition and I, I look forward to hopefully them coming up with something else for her to do. It's a tricky idea. I don't know what they'll come up with, but I'm hoping that she does get some more to do because Carolyn Devernas is too good to not get something to do. I mean, even, heck, even if she pops up just once a week to turn into a smoke monster again, like she did last week, <laughs> I would be on board with that because that scene was amazing. I'll totally take Hedalana. Absolutely, that Absolutely. would be that would be fun. Yeah, and it's it's a tricky balance as well because again, like you said, Kate, you don't want the thing to be repetitive, and at the same time, you want to make good use of the pieces that you have at your disposal. So then, uh, you're probably not going to please 100% of the viewers in any circumstance. But I think I was just curious about it because of how strong her presence was last week, and I'm okay if she's not used that much um, for fear of doing that kind of repetition. And, you know, wait to bring her in until it's necessary, because I think obviously Hannibal and Will can kind of carry this story on their shoulders for lengths of time. Yeah, I think also a problem with uh, the with just the Alana character at this point is it's something that uh, the uh, Kate, is it the Cynthia Nixon character? Katie. Okay. Yeah. Well, she basically says that Doctor Bloom believes that be- believes that Crawford enabled you. She's not very popular around here, so there's a sense that she's a bit on the outs with the FBI, and that's why she can't really be in the investigations. And this episode was far more about Will sort of reacting to Beverly and reacting to Hannibal, and basically trying to get back in the FBI's good graces. So by definition, it unfortunately just couldn't be as heavy of an as of an Alana plot. And that's something that uh, I I haven't actually read any reviews of of this season from those people like yourself who were fortunate enough to get screeners less. But I, I have heard that there's viewers shouldn't be expecting a lot of Alana. Yeah, well, the first well the first two episodes are the only ones that have been, that oh. I, that I've seen so far. So I have no idea how prominent she's going to feature going forward other than that fuller brian fuller did say when the ab club did a walkthrough last year that he really did want to use more carolyn Davernis in season two so we're only two episodes in so fingers crossed that he's got something more substantive in mind for her good all right were there any other things that either of you wanted to bring up any questions or um theories or ideas about the upcoming episodes or any little details. I know we could probably spend another hour talking about just the, the visual and the, the sound effects here. I do want to say I love the fact that despite the fact Hannibal has that perfect uh, concealing suit that keeps him from leaving any traces of DNA, he's still wearing his three-piece suit underneath that. It's like, doesn't <laughs> the guy own a turtleneck? 
Well, that, yeah, I actually specifically noticed that. I, I enjoy that the, the the suit he wears over, the, the thing he wears over to make sure he doesn't collect any you know, particle evidence is clear so that we can see his fabulous tie while he's <laughs> killing people. That was very fun. And the other thing I wanted to mention was that I particularly was enjoying the cello notes in the score this week. So very fun score as far as I was concerned. Extra fun than normal for me. Yeah, yeah. No, the, the, ninth, the ninth symphony over his Asobuco cooking, I thought that was just fantastic. Was there an accordion playing in the cold open? I would have to uh, listen again because I don't want to watch it again um, yeah. to, to be sure, but I wouldn't put it past him. I think, yeah, it came in during that chase sequence. Um, and for me, just another visual, uh, a visually impressive scene was when... Hannibal is looking at the the completed color palette, the eye, and we see that reflection in his own eye. I mean, obviously, these are just layered visuals that Hannibal is used to doing, but again, they, they never feel like they're bombarding it with us. Every time, I'm just still impressed. Now, all, now, all of the eye imagery and the makeup of the mural was gorgeous and horrifying and beautiful, and I'm very glad that I never have to see it again. <laughs> There, there was one other thing I wanted to mention because uh, it, it occurred to me earlier. Now we've seen when when Will's projecting, he puts himself into the place of the the killers. Is this the first time we see him as also one of Hannibal's victims? Because of course the the killer this time was also a victim. But is this the first time we see Will project himself as the victim? Oh. We saw I... him lying down on the floor that one time, right next to the body that had um, that smile ripped into it. But that wasn't his face; he was just next to it. So you might be right. Yeah, I, th- I would have to go back and watch parts of season one again. But I think you might be right. I think this is the first time that he's basically been on the slab himself, so to speak. Well, any thoughts on that? Well, I think it's I think it's part of his gradually trying to piece together his images of the fact that Hannibal did all of this to him. So this is part so this is him seeing Hannibal in the killer's role. So soon of course after he sees the Wendigo, Moloch, whatever it is, uh monstrosity that is Hannibal in his personified image looking down at the eye through him and then all of a sudden, boom, there he is in the mural. I think the other difference in this episode was the absence of that that pendulum rewind technique, and maybe that's just only that, um, yeah no that di- that did strike me. I mean, I commented about how giddy I was to hear this is my design set again, but it mm-hmm. did feel like there was a step missing in his process. And oh, that, and I, that might just but, be reserved for like crime scenes in particular might be the case, but I was kind of missing that. I think. Possibly. And I actually, that is one, th- that is another one final thing I do want to mention the moment where Beverly gives him the, f- gives him the photos and he asks, can I do this in private? And she says, no. And that sent basically marks that whatever Will thinks or set, even if Will can somehow persuade them to give him sort of a benefit of the doubt in these instances, even if all this saves him the relationship he has with everybody else is irrevocably changed she's not even willing to like step forward close enough to hand him the files they both have to kind of lean into each other isn't that refreshing though because it you always hear you know on these kinds of shows they're always like 
oh, I'm sure I'm going to be fine. They're always, like, you know, way too close, and they don't seem like they're creeped out or whatever on, like, Criminal Minds and these other shows where they're interviewing serial killers. Uh, so I actually particularly enjoyed that little touch. That is just another thing that I will say about Hannibal. We talk about all the visualization and the sound and all of that. I do love how subtle it is with physical demonstrations. Kate, you talked earlier about how Hannibal purposely stands aside from the crime scenes to give himself some distance it just those little details of physical expression and what people how people react to things i just appreciate that as much as i do the grand operatic sense of the show all right that's probably a good place to end this week for our discussion of sakizuki kate and i will be back again next week to talk about episode three hasan along with another special guest uh but in the meantime Thank you again to Les for coming on to the show. Les, where can our listeners find your work? They can find my writing at the AV Club. I'm currently doing regular reviews of Cougar Town, Enlisted, and Portlandia. And you can also follow me on Twitter at lessismore909. That's L-E-S-I-S-M-O-R-E-909. All right. Thank you. And Kate, where can our listeners find your written and podcast work online? Well, you can find my reviews up at soundonsite.org. I am reviewing The Red Road and Parenthood and Grimm at the moment, as well as podcasting away every Tuesday with uh, my co-host Simon Howell on the Televerse podcast. We cover the whole week's TV, and we I also, because apparently I can't do enough of this stuff, I also have a Walking Dead podcast with our guest from last week, uh, Editor-in-Chief of Sound on Sight, Ricky D. So you can find all of that stuff at Sound on Sight, and you can also follow me on Twitter at the Televerse. I love talking TV, and and I talk way too much of it, so you can drop me a line there. Fantastic. Thank you. And um, you can find me at Twitter at Sean Coletti. Uh, I'm doing weekly reviews of Hannibal right now for TV Overmind, but otherwise some of my reviews appear, appear on Sound On Site and at my personal blog, thereisnothingon.com. But until then, thank you again, listeners, for tuning in. This has been This Is Our Design. <laughs>